Welcome, it's great to see you guys this morning. If, uh, if this is your first time or you've been away for a couple of weeks, we are in the middle of a series called Simplify. This is part three of that series. You can go to trygrace.org or you can podcast and listen to parts one and two of the series. One of the things that I find fascinating is that we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and yet, as Americans, we never seem to be satisfied. You ever notice that? There's always like one thing, we're one thing away from being satisfied. If only this one thing would happen, or if I could only have this thing. We have so much, and yet we always need more. Do you ever wonder where that comes from? I don't know where we get that, that we just always need one more thing, and it's going to satisfy us. You know, what's, uh, what's funny is, I was reading about that, that Old Spice series of ads, and their sales skyrocketed near a 100% increase as a result of that uh, promotion that, that they did with a series of those commercials. It's amazing to me how the things that we see and hear play into what we think we need and how those things will satisfy us in our lives. The reality is, as many of us know, those things actually don't satisfy us. In fact, they often just complicate things, don't they? Like then we're running after that next thing, whatever that is that we think will satisfy us. I think the Rolling Stones had it right, didn't they? I can't get no... There you go. Can't get no satisfaction. Satisfaction is an elusive thing. And I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, but I can't get no, can't get no satisfaction. It is so difficult to be content in the world that we live in today. But if we are going to simplify our lives, which is what we're talking about in this series, we have to figure out how to be content. So today, we're going to look at one man who was absolutely content in his life. Now, for the past two weeks, we've been looking at Jesus Christ. And today, we're not going to be looking at Jesus, but we're going to be looking at arguably Jesus' most famous follower. His name was Paul. He lived 2,000 years ago. And he actually would have been perfect for 2013 living right here in Washington, D.C. Because this man was very intelligent. He was highly motivated. He was absolutely driven in everything that he did. He was influential. He just had leadership qualities oozing out of him. And he was tremendously accomplished. In fact, this guy Paul, if you haven't heard of him, started churches all over the Roman Empire after Jesus' death. And he wrote much of the New Testament of the Bible. Many of the letters that he wrote to those churches ended up in the New Testament. And those were basically letters that Paul wrote that were just helping these churches and these early Christians figure out how do we take Jesus' teachings and apply them to our lives and to the situations that we're facing. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a letter to a church that Paul helped to start in a place called Philippi. It's the letter of Philippians you'll find in the New Testament of your Bible. Philippi was in modern-day Greece. And this letter is broken into four sections. 
we are going to start in the fourth section and then we're going to come back to the beginning. The reason that I want to start in the fourth section of the letter is because that's where he gets to the heart of this matter with this issue of being content. So we're going to jump in Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. Paul writing to this church in Philippi. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Okay, so here's what's going on at this point. Um, So Paul is writing this letter to this church in Philippi, and the church had actually, he's writing in response to something the church did. They had sent a messenger to them. They had this guy who would, would go out, and uh, his name was Epaphroditus. I know it sounds more like a disease than, uh, than a person's name, but anyway, his name was Epaphroditus. It was 2,000 years ago. They had all sorts of weird names that they called people back then. But they sent out this guy, Epaphroditus, to, to basically just check on Paul to see how he was doing, because Paul had started this church. So they sent, sent out Epaphroditus to encourage him, see how he's doing. They had given him some money to send to Paul. And so Paul is basically saying, I was thrilled, I was rejoiced, that Epaphroditus came and that you guys were concerned about me. But check out what he says next in verse 11. So he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Okay, so he wasn't rejoicing because he was so desperate for what they were bringing him. He was pretty content. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content, In every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, so here's this guy, Paul, and he's written to churches all, and he started churches all over the place, and, and you know, now there's kind of this back and forth. And you might be thinking, okay, so this is probably like toward the, the end of Paul's life, and he, now this decorated, accomplished evangelist who's done all this cool stuff, he's probably sitting in some rocking chair somewhere, and he's in retirement, and he's completely satisfied with his life. And so he can, he can say, oh, I've learned what it is through the course of my wisdom and my experience in my life. I know what it's like to be content. I don't know if any of you have ever, you know, spent time with a, maybe a grandparent or someone who is like a, a grandparent type of a figure, and they see you rushing all around, and you're all stressed out, and they give you one of those talks. You're like, you know what, son? You just need to slow down. It's going to be okay. Just, you know, smell the roses and just be content with what you have. And you might be thinking, well, this is probably Paul. This is where he's at. You couldn't be further from the truth. Paul is actually in the midst of living an unbelievably chaotic life. In fact, as he's writing this letter to the Philippian church, he's imprisoned. He's in Rome, and he's waiting on an emperor named Nero. Alarm bells going off, okay? If you know anything about history and how Nero treated Christians... He's waiting on this guy Nero, totally crazy, to decide his fate because he's going around and he's causing all this controversy and stirring all this up and it's just, it's crazy. So this is when Paul's writing, I've learned what it is to be content. In fact, right now I'm content. He is in the midst of unbelievable chaos. And so basically what he's saying is he's like, hey, thanks for sending Epaphroditus to me. This is awesome. But you know, I just want to let you know that that I'm good, I'm totally content. 
How many of us in this room, if we were imprisoned and waiting on someone to decide whether they were going to execute us or not, would say, oh yeah, I'm totally good. I'm totally content with my life. Okay, that's what Paul's saying. Now, wouldn't you like to know why, how in the world did he get to that place? This isn't sitting in a rocking chair out on the beach in retirement. Oh, I've learned how to be content. No, 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 no. In the midst of utter chaos. All right, let's take a look at what helps Paul be content. We're going to get really practical here for a couple of applications that we can do in our lives. So we're going to go jump all the way to the beginning of Paul's letter to the Philippians, starting in verse 1. So here's what he writes. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is, this is all basically Paul's way of saying, hey church, what's up? Okay, that's just like, you know, that's just all the kind of the intro. Hey, how you guys doing? What's going on? Now, here's where he, this is really where he starts into the substance of his letter in verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So if you want to fill this in, what helps Paul be content, what can help us be content? Very practical, give thanks. Give thanks. It's very simple, but it's unbelievably powerful, okay? Here is Paul. Again, we've said he is imprisoned in Rome. And you've got to remember this about Paul, okay? Even if you, you've never heard of Paul before, you've got to take my word for it, that he was like a type A, hard-charging, highly motivated kind of guy, okay? He had been traveling nonstop around the region, starting churches everywhere that he could and then he would go and start more churches and then go back and check on churches that he heard maybe were struggling a little bit and so this was his life now here he is and he's he's been caught he's been captured he's trapped he's like a caged lion i mean some of you guys know what it's like you you can't sit still sit still for 30 minutes at a time okay he is now imprisoned and that must be driving him absolutely crazy that's what i would think and yet he's giving thanks. And if you read this letter, this letter is full of thankfulness and joy. It goes throughout the course of these four chapters. Paul has learned to be content because he's learned to give thanks for what he has. Now, if you were here two weeks ago when we kicked off this series, we challenged you to a 30-day prayer challenge. And if you remember, kind of the, the idea with that 30-day prayer challenge was that when your alarm clock goes off in the morning, just want you to hit snooze for the next 30 days. But instead of rolling over and going back to sleep, taking that little 10-minute segment and starting your day in prayer to God. And if you remember the little uh, line in that to help you with that, it was set a time and speak your mind. Set a time and speak your mind. Set a, a finite amount of time so that you don't feel like you're getting stuck. So, so you don't you feel like this should go on for a long time. And when does it end? Set a time and speak your mind. Now, what we said about the speaking your mind is just whatever's flowing, whatever you're thinking about, if you're worried about something, you know, whatever you've got coming up in your day that you're facing, whatever that is, just go ahead and start there. And we looked at a verse in Philippians 4, 4 through 7, two weeks ago, and I actually want to come back to it because um, I, I really want to hit on something in there regarding our prayer time. So we looked at this verse which said, rejoice in the Lord always. And this is actually from this letter that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. Here's that thankfulness and that joy again. He says, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
And here's where he gets into the part about the prayer. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So basically he's saying, whatever is going on, speak your mind. Just, just say it. Whatever it is, just when you're praying to God, just whatever it is, go ahead and take it before God. But I don't want you to miss these two little words in there that are so easily missed. He says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So as you're speaking your mind, if you, if you haven't started this 30-day prayer challenge, I challenge you to start it tomorrow morning. Start it tomorrow. Try for the next 30 days. See if your next week isn't better as a result of spending the first 10 minutes of your day in prayer to God. And when you speak your mind, and maybe you're starting to get overwhelmed with different things that are happening, take the time to give thanks for what God has done for you. When I was in my uh, early 20s, I, I had a, a unique situation where I had three major life crises all hit me at the exact same time. I don't know if you've ever had a situation like that. It's like when it rains, it pours. It's not just one thing. It's not just two, but three major things. And I can't even go into what those were because it would just take too long to unpack. But let me just say that I was completely overwhelmed. And I remember it was about 2.30 in the morning one night, and I was so tired, but I couldn't sleep. You ever been there? Like you're so exhausted, but you're just wired. I'm laying in bed, and I'm just kind of freaking out internally. And um, I had actually heard a sermon uh, maybe just a few weeks earlier about the importance of giving thanks. And so I got up. I couldn't sleep. I got up, and I grabbed um, a pad of paper. And I just started, in the midst of all this craziness and all the stress and the worry and everything that was going on, I I just started to, to write down things I'm thankful for. And... At first, you know, the first thing I read is like, okay, I'm just gonna, God, I'm just going to kind of write this prayer out to you. What am I thankful for? And I just draw a blank for a minute because I was just, you know, couldn't think of anything. And then I said, okay, God, thank you that I'm alive. And then I was kind of like, I think. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty bad, you know. Um, thanks for being alive. I'm sorry, I don't know if I scratched that out or whatever. But then I kind of got moving a little bit. And then I thought, okay, I thank you for my physical health. I thank you that I have four limbs that work. I thank you that I'm gainfully employed. Uh, God, thank you that I have people in my life who care about me. And, and I just started to, ju- I mean, just the most basic stuff you could ever imagine, I just started to write down. And I got, I filled a whole pad with things I was thankful for. It was nothing exciting. It was just all really mundane things. But then as I looked back down at that list, I realized, man, I really do have a lot of things to be thankful for. And it gave me enough peace in that moment because, man, I had been praying about all those other, those three things that were all converging. I had been praying and praying and praying about those, but I hadn't taken the time just to stop and say, God, thank you for what I do have. And that enabled me to actually go back down, and I slept like a baby that night. And that was really a turning point for me. So I want to challenge you, if you, if you are on that 30-day prayer challenge and you, maybe you fell off the wagon this past week and you want to try and get back on or you want to start... Set a time and speak your mind, but don't forget in the midst of that to give thanks for what you have. It is a key 
to being content. We see it in Paul's life, even though, man, he, he was facing dire circumstances. He took the time to give thanks. So that's the first one. If we want to be content, we have to give thanks. The second one that we see Paul practicing and that we need to practice ourselves is lose yourself. Lose yourself, if you want to fill that in. Paul continues in his letter to this church in Philippi. He says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You guys see what Paul is doing there? His focus is entirely on them. He's praying for them, and he's encouraging them. He's entirely focused on them. Now, listen to this. When I am feeling tremendously discontent and dissatisfied in my life, you know where my focus is? It's entirely on me. When I am in places, and, and it's not always easy to accomplish or achieve, but when I am at places where I'm really content, my focus is on others. So um, when I was 16, when I turned 16, my, uh, my parents bought me a car. Now, you might think, well, that's pretty awesome, especially if you didn't get a car when you turned 16. You might be very jealous of me right now. And certainly, that was a pretty cool thing to have your parents buy you a car at 16 years old. But you see, it really just wasn't that awesome for me. Because the problem for me was that I really saw this car that I knew was going to be coming. It was going to be a used car. You know, we had a budget, and it wasn't going to be that much money. But, but I had started to scope out some particular types of cars that I thought could mark the turning point in my life. Like it could change the, directory, the, the, tra- the trajectory of my high school experience. You know what I'm saying? Um, see, I mean, I was, I was pretty cool in high school. Let's show, let's show a picture of me at 16. Can we flash that? I, I mean, that sweater is just, it's just awesome, right? So, you know... I was one of those late bloomers. I think I hit puberty at like 20. And, um, and so I just, I really saw this as a, mo- like, you know, this is the thing. If I get the right car, this could change my whole life. I mean, this could put me on the map. So I had in mind what, what I would want for a car. And, uh, and so we looked at some, and I even got to test drive a few that I thought were really sweet. And then my parents uh, revealed that uh, this was going to be my car. Can we show? So that's a, that's a 1990 Ford Escort. Very nice car. Reliable. Yeah, you had one, didn't you, Zach? No, no. Okay, you didn't. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'm 16. That just wasn't, that wasn't the dream car for me. And I felt, you know, I was both grateful and a little dissatisfied at the same time. Well... That same year, I had the opportunity to go for the very first time on an international mission trip. I went down to Mexico. I actually talked a little bit. I'll talk, I talked more about this on, on the Mother's Day weekend in my message. So if you want to hear more details on the trip, you can, you can go there. 
and listen to it. But the, the short version of the story is that um, I went down, there were like 14 of us from my high school youth group, went down to uh, Juarez, Mexico, and we built a house for a woman who had lost her husband and lost one of her children, tragically. And she, she had one child, a widow, and she had adopted 11 other kids off the streets of, um, of Juarez, Mexico. And we built the most primitive, basic house. It took us three days to build. It's a bunch of high school kids. You can imagine. I don't even know if the house is still standing. You know what I'm saying? It, it was nothing. It was nothing glamorous. And the third day, um, we dedicated the house to this woman who just, I mean, just tears coming down her face. She hugged all of us. And I remember um, getting in the van and pulling out away from, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Um, we, we got into our van and we pulled out and the kids were like outside the house, you know, and they were all waving. And it just wrecked me. I mean, I, I lost it. I, I, you know, this is high school, man. Like, you're trying to, you know, you don't just come unglued in front of a bunch of your peers. That's just not something you do. And I just, I mean, just, I lost it. I was just crying. I couldn't stop. You know what wrecked me? I couldn't stop thinking about that car. I was upset because I didn't have the right kind of car. And this woman that I had just hugged two minutes ago didn't even have a house three days ago. It was un. Believable. I lost myself on that trip. If I could just say something just candidly to all of you guys, some of us in this room, we need to lose ourselves. We need to lose ourselves. We, there, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress. We have a lot of things going on. You know, we're, it's not an ideal place where we are in our lives. We, we wish things could be different. And we just need to lose ourselves. I want to give you a couple of practical suggestions on how you might be able to do that. So um, we're actively involved in several different countries as a church. And two of those countries, we have trips planned for uh, 2013. We have a trip to Haiti and, uh, and also a trip to Brazil, and the deadlines for those trips are actually coming up. And I'm not going to go into all the details on what those trips are about, but let me tell you, if you go, you'll lose yourself. You will lose yourself. You'll come away with a radically different perspective. And I just want to ask you this question. Uh, Have you ever been on a mission trip before? Have you ever gone on one? It is life-changing. Have you been on a trip recently? Because it's awesome. Um, some of those trips are costly, and I just want to let you know that if money is a concern or an issue for you, we never let money be the ultimate driving factor for folks to go on those trips. So I just want to encourage you. You'll find the information in your bulletin or on our website if you're interested in finding out more about those. But if you're here and you're like, well, I just can't, my schedule's crazy, and it's not the money, it's just it's other stuff and vacation and whatever, I, I just want to let you know there's tons of local 
opportunities. There's tons of things that you can do that our church is involved with to be able to lose yourself. Uh, I'll just give you one, but there's, there's many. If you go to our website, you can find out about all the different missions things that we're doing. But we're involved with a shelter called the Carpenter Shelter in Alexandria. And we've been working with that shelter for years and years and years. And we do lots of cool stuff with them on a regular basis. One of the things we do is a game night. And it's really cool because we, it's like bingo with, with the residents who are there. And all the prizes are just real practical things like toiletries and basic stuff, you know, that are no big deal to us, no big deal to us, but are a big deal to those residents. And they get to win it. They get to kind of earn it. So there's a, there's a dignity that's there. Man, it's super competitive. <laughs> you just better be ready. If you're, if you're going down that game night, it gets pretty amped up. It's, it's a lot of fun. So I, I just want to encourage you. Um, if you're here and you really just feel like, man, life, there's just so much coming at me and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty overwhelming and I have all this stuff going on and it's really hard to feel satisfied. It's really hard to be content. How can you lose yourself? What can you do to lose yourself? Because that's what some of us need. That's what Paul did. He lost himself. He wasn't focused on him. All right. I just want to say one last thing before we hit the nacho bar outside. I'll just close us with this. And this is really important that you guys take hold of this, okay? Paul's learning. He said, I have learned the secret of being content, okay? Paul didn't learn that when things were going well. You, you have to understand this. This is so important and it's actually encouraging because when we learn to be content is actually in times of discontent. Paul, his life was, was unreal. Let me, just, let me just read this to you. This is fascinating. This is in a letter, a second letter that he'd written to the Corinthian church. And it's, it's in the 11th chapter. This is a long letter he wrote to them, in verse, starting in verse 24. Check this out. He's talking about what has happened to him in his travels. Look at this. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, and I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits, my fellow Jews, Gentiles in the city, in the country, at sea, and from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. This was all because Paul was starting all these churches all around and it was a threat to the powers that be and their established religious systems of the day and his life was in danger all the time. Paul lived an unbelievably hard life. And that is where he learned to be content. Just... A few sentences later, going into the 12th chapter of his second letter to the church in Corinth, verse 7. Check this out. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, we have no idea what the thorn in Paul's flesh was, okay? 
We, we, we don't know. We can speculate, we can guess, but we have no idea. Nobody knows what this thorn in Paul's flesh was. But he continues, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So whatever that thorn in the flesh was, it was causing Paul tremendous suffering and pain, and he was incredibly discontent with that issue. Now, so he pleads with the Lord three times to take it away. But he said to me, this was God's response, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Let me read that one more time. God's response to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Man, I don't know if I've been able to get to that point in my spiritual journey, boasting about my weaknesses. But that's where Paul was. So whatever that struggle was, whatever that thorn was that Paul had, it was deep, it was pervasive, and he cried out to God. That was his thing that was tremendously afflicting to him. It was like the one thing that he desperately wanted God to change in his life. And God's response was, Paul, I want you to be content. I want you to realize that I am enough for you. So as we close out this service, the question that I want to put to you guys is, what is that thorn in your life? What is that thing that you just, you, maybe you've prayed for years that God would change, that God would take away from you, that God would bless you with? What is that thing? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't keep praying because you should. God is very clear, ask, knock, seek, ask me, keep on asking. But I also want you to be open to the potential that maybe God wants to whisper to you, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I just want you to consider I'm not saying it is. I don't know your unique situation and all the prayers that you've prayed and all that you're maybe going through even right now. But just to be open to the idea, to the possibility that God might say, I'm sufficient for you. You see, we can do very practical things. We can give thanks. Paul was constantly giving thanks. That's his way that he was learning how to be content. And we can lose ourselves. We can take the focus of ourselves. We can find opportunities to serve. We can do these very practical things to work towards being content and simplifying our lives. But there are some things that are so deep, they're so challenging, that we can't do those things on our own. They only come through God's power and God's grace. And that's why 
as Paul talks about that he has learned the secret to being content. He says in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's not just in us, it's in him. Will you pray with me? God, um, we just want to say thank you that these letters that were written to encourage other Christians 2,000 years ago that one of your followers wrote, that these letters were preserved. That's miraculous. That these letters survived and were incorporated into the Bible. We thank you for how just practically helpful that they are. Help us, God, to learn that secret of being content the way Paul did. Help us to give thanks in those times where we don't feel thankful at all. Help us to build that discipline, even when we're not feeling thankful, to be thankful. And Lord, help us all to lose ourselves. Some of us desperately need to do that today. But for those of us, Lord, who um, have a thorn in our side, we have a major thing that we've been struggling with and suffering with. God, one more time, as a whole community, we ask you to take that away from us, to change whatever it is that is going on, to, to, to finally answer that prayer that we feel like we've prayed a thousand times. But God, help us also, between now and that answer, to be open to the possibility that maybe your grace is sufficient for us. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.